0: Thanks for listening to A Little More Conversation. I'm Ben O'Hara Byrne. Tonight, we meet a Montreal photographer who is focusing his lens on lookalikes, capturing images of hundreds of so-called doppelgangers. We find out about the inspiration behind the project and the many lookalikes he's brought together. We wrap up our week-long look at Back to School 2022 with an urgent issue for a lot of university students and college students this year finding affordable housing. The cost of rent rising fast, many are struggling to find a place to call home, and that leaves them vulnerable to scammers as well. But first, Monday marks the scheduled blast off for the new NASA led Moon program. The first mission will pave the way for astronauts, including a Canadian, to return to the Moon for the first time since 1972, a reflection of Canada's contributions to the program called Artemis. If all goes as planned, NASA's most powerful rocket yet will roar to life on Monday morning as part of the Artemis 1 mission to the moon. That's right. One small step. We're going back to the moon. Uh, This, of course, is just the first step. The attached Orion capsule will be unmanned. The passengers instead will be three mannequins. Still, it will be the first time something like this has been done since Apollo 17 40 years ago. And if this test goes well, it will be followed up by Artemis 2 in two or three years' time. That time, Orion will be crewed, including by a Canadian astronaut. The goal of the Artemis program is to send humans, of course, back to the moon and ultimately to Mars. This is sort of the first stage. Artemis program deputy manager Chris Cienzola says it's time for the big test.
1: We're excited about it. At the end of the day, um, we went through all the, uh, the polling. The team is ready. The rocket is ready. And we're here to support.
0: Monday morning. Is meant to be blast off, if all goes well. There's about a 70% chance of that happening, apparently. The weather's looking pretty good. Now, the rocket will circle the moon for a few weeks before returning to Earth. Lots of testing going on to make sure it's fit for uh, human consumption, so to speak, or human use. Uh, Artemis, by the way, is an international effort, and Canada is playing a big role in all this. That's why one of our astronauts will be part of that first crewed uh, mission in a few years, Artemis 2. Well, joining me now is Dr. Aaron Boley. He's an associate professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at UBC and the Canada Research Chair in Planetary Astronomy as well. Thanks for your time tonight.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Well, this is exciting stuff. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, I know we've been talking about it for a while, but it's right. kind of snuck up, this Artemis 1 launch on Monday. Uh, it strikes me as being a big deal, and this is a big rocket.
1: This is a very large rocket. Uh, and uh, it's really uh, ushering in a, a very new era in space exploration.
2: Uh, I know that's a, a term that gets thrown around a lot, or a
1: phrase that gets thrown around. But what we're talking about with the Artemis program and what Canada is going to be playing a part in is a, not just a return to the moon, but uh, a uh, setting up infrastructure and an entire system for long-term habitation of the moon. And so this includes things like uh, a system for having uh, a lunar space station, uh, for transporting astronauts to that space station It won't be permanently crewed, uh, but there'll be long duration uh, flights and crews uh, on the station. And then transfer of the crew members to the moon, as well as transfers of, of robotic equipment Uh, As part of this, uh, there's uh, a
2: really uh,
1: important international discussion on things like mining the moon for what we call Institute Resource Utilization, because the project that is happening now, uh, uh, we're taking the first steps toward as humanity, is, is a type of space exploration where we cannot be dependent on resources from Earth. And so how we go about that, that's a Uh, a huge open question, both from the science, engineering, and political components. Uh, But this is what is uh, now on the table and what we're actually going to be exploring here over the next few years. Uh,
0: Dr. Boli, unfortunately, it sounds like uh, we've called each other from the dark side of the moon here. The connection's a bit bad. I'm just going to let Talia, the connected technical producer, call you right back. And I'll talk for a bit, and we'll bring you right back in a second, if that's okay. We're speaking with Dr. Aaron Boley. He's an associate professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at UBC. We're talking about the launch on Monday morning of Artemis 1. Now, keep in mind, uh, there hasn't really been a lunar capsule since 1974, since the early 70s. And that was Apollo 17, 1972, rather, 40 years ago now. Um, so, lots of expectations on Monday. So, what's going to happen on Monday is they will launch this capsule with with mannequins in it uh, to test it. It's going to uh, orbit the moon for a couple of weeks and then come back. It's going to re-enter the atmosphere. So there'll be lots of testing going on uh, to see whether it's up to snuff, obviously. Um, the rocket they're using is just massive, the Artemis 1. Um, and then if all goes well, in a few years' time, they're going to send a manned crew or a crewed capsule backup, including a Canadian astronaut. That's all part and parcel of the kind of work that we've done with this mission, uh, which includes a new Canada arm, Number three, which we'll talk about, um, as well as working as well on a uh, small lunar rover program that we're helping out with as well. So, Canada is intimately involved or heavily involved in this, uh, especially with our Canada arm technology. It's great; we're still uh, able to do that. And when we get uh, when we get uh, Dr. Bowley back, we'll continue to talk about uh, exactly what's happening with this project because it is exciting times uh, coming up on Monday morning. Um, as he was mentioning one of the big things here is sort of new frontiers uh, as he mentioned we talk about that a lot when it comes to space exploration but you know this is an opportunity for both mining is uh, going to be doing some uh, experiments on, grow, on growing things food uh, in space as well as telemedicine I know that uh, that sounds like something that happens uh, on earth but also something they're looking at in space as well as to do telemedicine Dr. Boley welcome back thanks uh, thanks for hanging out there.
1: Yeah, no worries. And I'm sorry Much that better. we did have that bad connection. I mean, and Not this, at all, you know, how ironic. I, <laughs> I know, well, this, <laughs> this, you know, the Artemis One mission is a capabilities demonstration mission, ultimately. Uh, there will be, you know, some really cool science that's going to be happening, um, uh, but it's going to be largely this tech demonstration. And, you know, there are many complexities that we're going to have to contend with when going to the moon. And I just caught some of the last, that you are talking about. Uh, And, you know, astronaut health is going to be incredibly important. And eventually, you know, people who are uh, on the moon, including scientists for very extended periods of time, uh, we will need these uh, capabilities for uh, very remote health. And that has implications, of course, for how we can do that on Earth.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a completely different kettle of fish in some ways to those original moon missions, isn't it? Because back in the day, it was it the is. space race and just getting there and, you know, one small step and so on. This is an entirely different concept, I get, I gather.
2: It, this is
1: not about just going there and leaving. This really is about setting up the infrastructure so that humanity can have a very long-term presence uh, beyond Earth. And the moon, and- I guess, is just the, the
0: just the first step, right?
1: That's right. That's, uh, it's, the moon, in many ways, is a proving ground for this. Uh, and there, there's um, you know, much to be said for going to the moon in and of itself. Uh, but it's also where we're going to first, humanity is going to first, you know, try to extract resources from another body and use those in order to do things like process fuel, to have uh, life support systems and uh, radiation shielding. There are many different uses of, for water ice uh, that can be extracted from the uh, permanently shadowed regions on the uh, lunar poles. And that's going to be one of the uh, major focuses of uh, the, the Artemis program going forward. Uh, but then there's also looking at different uses of the lunar regolith for building structures. Uh, and all of this comes to you know, figuring out how we uh humanity can have a space exploration that is self-sustaining beyond earth because when we're talking about uh having uh astronauts uh exploring the solar system conducting science uh people eventually just living off earth for very extended time periods uh that those missions cannot be reliant on resources from earth to be successful Very different.
0: Very different, of course, from the International Space Station and so on. I'm speaking with Dr. Aaron Boley. He's an associate professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at the University of British Columbia. We're talking about the launch of Artemis I. Uh, it's scheduled for Monday morning, first thing early Pacific time, by the way. I think it's uh, 8.15 or 8.45 a.m. Uh, Eastern. So you'll have to get up early to watch uh, if all goes well. And this is just right. the first step in a return to the moon. When we come back, we'll talk about Canada's contribution because it is an impressive one. That's next. We're talking about going to the moon this half hour. Isn't that exciting? Artemis 1 launches apparently on Monday morning. That's the plan, at least, from uh, NASA. Uh, it is the first step in a return to the moon, and it's been a very mighty long time. You'll remember back, of course, what an important part those moon landings have in uh, in our collective memory of space, even though I was too young. I wasn't around for those initial moon landings. Uh, Aaron Boley is our guest this hour. He's an associate professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at UBC. Uh, Canada's had made quite the contribution here. I gather the Canada Arm 3 is... Uh, a real step not a step up, but a real
1: evolution of the first. two. It is yeah, uh, absolutely. And this is uh, going to be an incredibly important component of what's called lunar gateway. Now lunar gateway is going to be a critical piece of this infrastructure that we've been talking about for the Artemis program. and again, the Artemis program you sh- it should really be thought of a whole system for um, uh, being able to transport humans from Earth and equipment from Earth to the moon and then back. And so a lunar gateway is going to be a space station that's in a very elliptical orbit about the moon. And what I mean by that is it's going to get really close to the moon on one side of its orbit, and it's going to be really far away from the moon on another side of its orbit. And the reason for doing that is it's going to be able to facilitate landing operations when it gets really close, and then it will facilitate docking um, operations for Uh, returning crews and for arriving crews um, when it's really far away. Uh, Now, the space station itself is not always going to be crewed, and so it's very different from the International Space Station in that sense. The International Space Station has to be crewed 24-7 for it to continue its operation, um, just people. There are many tasks that need to be done to ensure its safety, integrity, and so forth. Um, but since the uh, uh, lunar gateway is going to be in orbit about the moon, it's not going to be staffed 24/7, and instead it's going to rely on robotics. And so the Canada Arm 3 is this critical piece of infrastructure that's going to be able to climb around the spacecraft and be able to do maintenance, uh, observations of, uh, the, of the spacecraft, ensure integrity. Uh, it's uh, an incredible, it will be an incredible um, bit of robotics, machinery, technology. Uh, it's really neat to hear all the descriptions of it.
0: Yeah, I I guess just to control it too. I mean it is just to put into perspective it is far further away than the one on the international space station so it uh, right. it demands it demands a, a much more advanced uh, form of of uh, of control, right? Communication yeah, control. Yeah, so
1: it has to be autonomous. Um and so it's going to have or at least semi-autonomous. So it's going to have uh many components in which it's going to be able to do on its own. It'll have uh its own uh, decision making uh, and of course it can also be controlled. So uh it, it, it is very different from what we think of when we think of the Canada arm on the International Space Station. Yeah, or the space shuttle to go way back. Um, right. And a right. Cana-
0: it looks like a, a, a Canadian is going to be amongst the first that first crew, right? That If it all goes according to plan in a few years, we'll see a Canadian as part of this, which is also very exciting.
1: That's right. So uh, in looking at the partners for uh, the Artemis program, which is a U.S.-led program, um, uh, uh, different countries, you know, would provide support for it. Uh, sci- uh, uh, and that includes uh, being signatories on the Artemis Accords, um, which is a non-binding um, um, a political document ultimately, but it, it, it commits the country, uh, the signatories to a set of principles uh, for moving forward. And so Canada has signed uh, that set of principles and uh, for the, um, Uh, mission support has committed Canada arm three and, and there are a whole bunch of other things that are actually happening. It's not just all Canada arm three. There's a whole leap program, uh, which is put forward, which is looking at facilitating, um, innovation and small companies for being able to contribute, you know, landers to the moon, different types of science experiments and all, you know, centered around capability building. But as part of that commitment, Astronaut slot is offered, and so that's uh, Canada's uh, one way to be uh, to send a Canadian to the moon.
0: It's gonna be. I mean, just just saying it out loud is exciting. I find. Um, How long might this all take before we see this sort of progress into those more complete stages, like like the um, the new space station orbiting and so forth? Is are we decades away?
1: Not uh, not decades away, but. you know, it, it really does depend on how how everything plays out. You know, there's nothing about this that's routine. <laughs> we we right. take a lot of stuff for granted in terms of space flight at this point, just because we do have decades of experience, and we're seeing some amazing changes in the space environment. And not all of that's good, but we're seeing uh, a lot of amazing things that are happening at very fast paces. And we're getting this uh, kind of sense of complacency, like this is you know easy, um, but it. What's happening here with the moon certainly isn't. And so this Artemis One launch has already been delayed, you know, many times. Um, and, and hopefully it will go and, and be a, uh, an amazing success. Um, if there are no delays, uh, it is possible that we're going to be seeing um, this structure and we're going to see human activity on the moon by the end of the decade. Um, if there are delays, it can be pushed until the next decade. But things are moving quickly.
0: Well Dr. Bully, thank you so much for your time tonight and explaining uh, what's happening. We'll all be stay we'll all be tuning in on Monday, I think, to have a look at where this all begins.
1: Yeah, I will definitely be tuning in. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is a story I've been looking
0: forward to telling for days now. Is there someone out there, someone not related to you, who may look a whole lot like you? It's such an interesting idea. Of course, it is the story of the doppelganger or the lookalike. And a Montreal photographer has been using his lens to chronicle hundreds of unrelated lookalikes, inviting them to participate in a series he calls I'm Not a Lookalike. And this week, word that his project inspired scientists to look into the genetic, genetic makeup of lookalikes that he's photographed to see if there's any explanation for the incredible physical similarities there. Well, photographer Francois Brunel joins me now from Montreal. Thank you so much for your time tonight.
2: Um, I'm, I'm I'm very ha- happy to be in your program, Ben.
0: This is such a fascinating subject, Francois. What was your What was your inspiration for starting to try to? photograph people well, who looked
2: alike. Yes. yes, well it's two things. Uh, the first thing is I, since a young age, I always see these these uh, look-alikes all over the place. I'm going to the grocery store and then notice that the clerk is looking like my cousin or I'm, I'm finding that my nephew is looking like a, a woman at work and things like that. And the other thing is I was told for years that I looked like a surgeon, Mr. Bean, and I didn't know who that thing was or whatever. And then I saw myself on television once. One night I was watching TV and I saw this man taking his bath and I think the wall was falling down. It it was really crazy. But when he he got up from his bathtub, I said, this is me, this looks like me. This is, my God, I I, I, I was surprised. But uh, I thought the man looked uh, ridiculous. And uh, so I thought that I looked ridiculous too. But it's only between the television the TV set at me, so it's a you know, well-kept secret, so that's fine. But then the program ended, and I saw these uh, these infamous letters, Mr. Bean, and then I said to myself, oh no, not only do I think that I look like this uh, character, but the people around me, they think I look like this character too, so uh, until now, I thought I looked like Mr. Dean, James Dean, you know, in the right. police station, looking with his rebel <laughs> face, but I had to, to admit and uh, to, to come, come down to reality. I look more like uh, the cra- character played by Atkinson than right. uh, James Dean, but uh, it's fine. So after that, I thought, well, that's interesting. So I look like somebody else. What if I would find two lookalikes, two perfect lookalikes, if that exists? And then I will bring them together and then I will do... Their photo, and I thought that when they would meet these these perfect lookalikes, they would be so—I uh, don't know how to say—flabbergasted. They would be right. in a state of shock. Yeah. They would be, get so emotional that the picture that I would take of them would be a great picture. That's that's what my that was my my that was fantasy. that was what you
0: had in, in your mind. How, how, let me. How did you find them?
2: Well, at first, I knew uh, maybe uh, twenty pairs of lookalike that I met over the years and i i reach for them but uh, about uh, 10 the 10 sh- 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 showed up uh, in north because some of them they, they 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 didn't want to participate and some of them they were out of reach because they moved or something like that right so uh, then i asked for the media people like you <laughs> ben and i say, help me and uh, it, it didn't work uh, quite well at the beginning because, you know, right. you start a project, you have nothing to show and you ask help. Uh, so people say, who are you? But then right. after uh, a few years of perseverance, I got a, a break and then a second break and then I got tons of media. And right. the, 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 the reporters would would say to their audiences, if you have a lookalike and you want to participate in the, the, a crazy project, just uh, go to the website of uh, François oh. Bonel and write to him and so well, i received thousands and thousands of emails and out of that i could pick up uh, the the lookalikes that i have right now. Right.
0: so n- now you have l'embarras du
2: choix you have too many you have too many lookalikes right i imagine um well he, i i still i still receive today an email from a, a lady in uh, in spain and she met a woman uh, in the path and uh, in spain i guess and she was a french uh, woman so they took uh, like, lot, tons of selfies together and she s- sent me the 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 photos and we, and we met she said she'll try to find uh, this woman because it's been years ago but she wants to participate so i said go oh, ahead that's and great. we'll see that's great. So, that happened so today
0: were, <laughs> oh that's super so but you were saying when you first got them together you thought that there would be this sort of uh, flabbergasting moment this moment of of absolute like looking in the looking in a strange mirror uh, yes. is that that's not what happened
2: uh, it happens for maybe one second or two when they meet. You, you open the door and they say, "This is uh, this is you and this is uh, he or she." And then they have, they have this moment, but it's more of a, uh, who's that person? It's just like you know, they're, they're not sure about the situation. But after a few seconds, then it's like business as usual. I am uh, I'm Tom. Uh, hi, I'm Peter. And, and then uh, what do you, what François, do you want us to do? And then. It's, it's my 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 craft to to find the right angle, the 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 right life, and the you know the, to make them either laugh or be sad or be I uh, don't know to to find the likeliness because what is a lookalike? A lookalike is someone that you think is another person. So if I meet someone in the street and I say hi Ben, how are you? And uh, you know I love your program and everything, and the man says uh, sorry, do uh, we know each other? And then the, this man happens to be somebody else. Let's say a guy named Peter. Yeah. So so But if we bring Peter and a new Ben, in the, in the in front of the lens, then we'll see, oh, oh, one is taller, definitely. And one is, yeah, his voice is not the same. Yeah, yeah, it's not the same. But when I was on the street and I talked to Peter, I thought it was it was Ben for sure. So I went, I crossed the street. And I said, hey, Ben, how are you? And blah, 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 yeah. how are your children? Well, so that's a lookalike.
0: That's, that's what I found so interesting about looking at your photos, Francois, was that they, they look a lot alike, but they're certainly not identical. Uh, no, no, these they, are a lot they, of people. They yeah, they're not at all. They, obviously, they can't be, but they're not even as, as alike as perhaps you might expect. They are just very similar. They're kind of similar, as you mentioned, that you might see someone at the grocery store and think it was the other person and be hard it would be hard to convince you that it wasn't um like that much alike but not but not you know not identical it's a really interesting what do you think makes makes for a, a really good a pair to photograph uh
2: well it's really the the case when there was confusion like a real confusion when people talk to somebody thinking somebody else then that's a real look alike but it, it's not necessarily uh, when you put them together, it's not necessarily that they will very look alike. It's the way of being. It's the whole thing. It's the attitude. It's the voice. It's the face. It's the eyes. It's the, the way of moving the head. I, I, it just happened to me at the beginning of my project. I went to a, a party, and I, I met a, a photographer from a, another photog- photographer from Montreal, whose name is Jean Vachon. And I I, I, I talked to him for about five minutes, and I, yes, yes, and then everything was fine. And then he said to me. Uh, do we know each other? <laughs> so I, I say, oh, that's a good joke. <laughs> but uh, my friend Jean doesn't make any jokes. So I say, that's strange. The, you know, so I say, well, I make a joke too. Okay, so you're Jean, right? He says, no, my name is Jacques. So and then, and then I was like electrified. I, I couldn't I couldn't breathe. I say, I, is that happening to me? I'm I'm a victim yeah. of the uh, of that. So, finally, I I I, I explained that I had a project. I explained to that guy I had a project, and he agreed to to participate, and my friend uh, Jean also. So, they they were the first couple that I did officially, and they showed up to my studio, and when they were side by side, believe it or not, I thought they didn't look alike at all. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) That's what happens. Because Uh, one of them uh, is is older than the other one, and one has a bigger beard, and uh, so... uh, so funny so they asked me do, do we look alike i say, oh yes yes of course you know, a photographer has to lie always you know. right a, if you photograph a woman or a man and they say am i okay <laughs> you have to answer it's always <laughs> yes because otherwise <laughs> it, it, you're doomed
1: so exactly. i said yes
2: yes yes and i did the pictures and i did my best and then they left and then i i was a, I was fully discouraged i said i'm a i am am a I'm a zero. I'm 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 bad. I I don't even know how to do anything, and so. But finally, after a few uh, weeks, and it could be could have been months. I'm a I'm a, I'm the slow uh, slow type. So I, I I I took the less worse photograph. You know, the, which could be called the best. Right. And I thought, yeah, finally it works. It works. And I look at yeah. the pictures. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And, and then it, it
0: became one of the best picture I ever did. <laughs> oh, wow. So you've, you you've grew to love it, which is great. I'm speaking with François Brunel. He's a Montreal photographer who's uh, documented doppelgangers. Uh, he has met and photographed hundreds of pairs of people who look a lot alike. And we're talking about how that began and how it's done and how he meets where he finds them and what their reaction is when they meet each other and so forth. Uh, and we'll talk about just the fact that this project has now taken him. Uh, he's now has photographs of of doppelgangers from right around the world. I mean it started off in Montreal with friends and it's gone global since. We'll be back with that. We're talking about doppelgangers with François Brunel this half hour. He's a Montreal photographer who's uh photographed uh, hundreds of pairs of lookalikes as part of a project that's been going on for some time now. This is really I mean I was looking through a lot of the photos you've taken and a lot of them are on your website francoisbrunel.com if you're curious. Uh You've photographed pairs from all over the world now.
2: Yes. Uh, well, uh, yes, yes. Uh, I've been to many countries, and uh, you know, if, uh, you have to I've been lucky to 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 go to Colombia for for one thing because the uh, their uh, government entity there wanted to do a campaign for peace in Colombia, right. uh, a country who needs a lot of peace. So the uh, I was uh, I was there to photograph. Uh, 24 pairs of lookalikes, uh, and that that uh, that helped me grow the number of the lookalikes because I'm up to 250 pairs. So that
0: That's
3: in remarkable.
2: one shot, I was there for uh, three weeks, and then I could you know uh, augment the number of lookalikes and the very good pairs too. And they 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 brought the lookalikes from all over Colombia to Bogota. They rented the studio and they they even made a movie oh. out of that. So that was great. I was lucky. I was uh, in Spain also, for, and I was in Germany, and the United States, uh, here in Montreal. So I, I, I've, I've been lucky because I've, I've got a lot of help uh, to do the project.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of fascination. There was a big article in the New York Times about it recently, too, which I'm sure will, will help <laughs> Will in your fight. Do you ever get submissions from people who do not look alike?
2: I'm sure you uh, do. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, I guess people, who, they, they, they won't bother writing, but uh, I get a lot of... Uh, I have three kinds of, uh, of letters. One with look alike, like my brother looks like uh, somebody that I know at the office. So that's, And here, here are the photos. Here is the uh, the webmail addresses. so that's good. Yeah. Uh, and then the, another one is... Uh, I'm a lookalike, or my 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 sister is a lookalike of a, a painting, or a deceased person, or a famous uh, star, or something like that. And then the the other kind of email is please find my lookalike, and they send a picture <laughs> or a series of picture, and then I have to reply that uh, yes, uh, I don't do that. You you have to have your own lookalike, and it's stated very clearly in my in the web page on the the website of the project. Right. If if you have a lookalike. Uh, uh, you can reach to me, but if not, you don't have. A, not, yeah. I, I won't find your lookalike for you because how can I do that? I mean, yes, I
0: can't. François, you are not a lookalike matching service. You are, you are a, no, a, that a that documenter of, of lookalikes. Yes,
2: indeed. But there is one um, in, in er, there is one in Ireland that exists that that does that. <laughs>
0: really? Maybe with a name yeah. like mine, maybe maybe I should give them a call. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> where do, where that, do you go see? from
2: where do you go from here? <laughs> where do you go from here, François? Will you continue to do this for a while longer? Uh, I, I'm. I, I would say I'm close to the end. I'm. I'm looking f- to to have the 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 photos published in the the next year, with uh, an Italian publisher who's got interested in, in to my very seriously into my project, and I'm I'm trying to build the idea of an an exhibition that would uh, that would show all the pictures. But uh, there's a, another project with a. Uh, uh, a filmmaker here in Montreal who wants to to do a movie about my project, and she told me that this would take two or three years, and we would even go to China to photograph uh, uh, Chinese lookalikes and things like that. So uh, I'm not finished yet, but uh, it, you know the, the, the project is complete, but I'm not finished yet because it's uh, right. it's always interesting to meet new people and uh, live new experiences.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you with that because sometimes in art, uh, one embarks upon a project and then the project takes them over, right? You can't uh, all of a sudden the project becomes more than you expected it to be. Um, I, you must still find it fascinating, or you would not do it anymore, I
2: imagine. Uh, no, I still find it fascinating. Except I'm not eager to find more localites uh, that I was in the beginning. But at the beginning, I'm nothing, so I, I wanted to, you know, to do to cover the world uh, completely but now the, the it's uh, to to manage 250 uh, photos which means 500 uh, people that are in the photos and we're all partners in the photos like when people are in front of my lens they're not paid to be there we we do that as a, as a team we're three it's a, a team of three for the the time of the photo session which lasts which lasts about 2 hours i would say so so i have 500 new friends and the the 500 of them and plus myself that's 501 we did this this project that people seem to like and and then i have some media coverage uh, recently because of the dr seller's uh, study it's great, and it's right? good because for me it means more people looking at the the photos and it's good for everyone
0: Right. What has most surprised you about this whole journey from the time you first sort of thought your, you know, your aunt looked like someone at the grocery store to seeing someone across the street or bumping into Jacques, not Jean Vachon? Uh, what has most surprised you about about this whole journey for you and taking photos of people who look alike?
2: Yeah, the, the thing that surprised me most is that uh, people, people across the, 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 the world would love my photos. And that that's a, uh, that's when I started the project, I, I, I had maybe 15 photos at one point. I came uh, late at night at home, and I put the, the prints on the table, and I look at them, and I criticize myself. I say, well, Francois, uh, yeah, black and white. Uh, yeah, it could be in color, but you choose to do that in black and white. There's no no props. Uh, the people, they, they are dressed as they, 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 they come, and I say no imagination, and it's always the same thing, and... Uh, I said, yeah, but Fanny uh, said, well, I love that absolutely. That's what I love, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I I decided that if if only one more person in the world apart from me would love my photos as much as I love them, I'll be fine. You know, just one person anywhere in the world would say, Oh, François, I love your photos. I'll be I'll be happy. But now, <laughs> with all this this uh, this internet thing and uh, photos circulating and having lots of uh, feedback and positive uh, 99% of the time so i'm i'm a happy man because uh, uh, i've got more than i asked for and uh, that changed my life because i don't have to fight anymore to get some uh, uh, you know to flatter my ego or something like that it's right again it's, it's, it's yeah. great i mean it's great it, it, to see your work uh, distributed like that and seen all over the place. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a happy man, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. And you must feel good for the 500 too, because they get to be seen as well. And they're part of this very interesting project that you've, uh, that you've put together, François.
2: Yes, that's true. It's, uh, for them, it's uh, it's a, uh, we, we, we managed to do this thing together. So the success is uh, our success uh, of us all. So it's, I'm very proud of that
0: so if you want to have a look if you're curious about having a look at these great photos françois brunel dot com that's f a r n f r a n c o i s brunel is b r u n e l l e dot com you can find all the photos there i guess you're not really looking for too many more submissions, but
2: you never know right i'm 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 always looking for more that that's for sure right. because it, it, sometimes you get despair and then you go you know, oh my god this is incredible this <laughs> is impossible and you know who knows it's a, it's, right. uh, it's it's so, great. And by the way, we started our careers in Quebec City, you and I, both of us. That's
0: right. That's right. We both did. Uh, so we have that in common. Fosso, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, all this week, we've been taking a look at Back to School 2022. We thought we'd get a jump on it. I know a lot of people are going to do it next week. We thought we'd do it this week because, hey, Back to School is sooner than you think. So uh, let's get prepped. One of the things that I found really surprising this year, one of the things I've thought about a lot uh, being here in Victoria, which is a bit of a university town, is with rents jumping so much, the price of rent has gone up so much of late. uh, What are students going to do? Where are students going to live, especially in places where rent is really expensive? Now, that's long been a problem here, but it's pretty consistent now. Right across the country, and I've been reading stories about students living in their cars, reading students about stories about students being scammed um, out of money, trying to find places desperate to find places as the school year approaches. It's especially tough, of course for international students who may not have anyone here who can go look for them, may not know how the rental market works quite as well. Uh, so I was really curious about what the situation is exactly, what's going on, what's being done, to help students, our universities is getting involved to make sure students have a place to live, not just on campus and residents and so on, but off campus, because a lot of students obviously uh, prefer to live off campus. Uh, so joining me now with more on this is Mark Taylor. He's director of accounts at placesforstudents.com. That's a searchable database for off-campus student housing. It uh, incorporates about or works with about 200 campuses right across this country from big to small. Mark, thanks for your time tonight. Oh, thank you. We've been reading a lot about uh, and seeing a lot uh, about just the skyrocketing cost of rent right across the country, uh, specifically in in those big markets like Toronto, Vancouver, uh, and places like Victoria, for instance. What are you seeing on your end? How much has it changed in the last 12 months?
3: Uh, So we've seen a bit of a perfect storm that actually maybe I could go back to 2020 with COVID coming in and everything going virtual. Um, we have roughly you know, 500,000 landlords in our database that utilize Places for Students. And so we were hearing from them that they couldn't find any students for the rentals. They were all going crazy trying to find something. And uh, everything was staying empty because everybody was forced to stay home and study online. So many of those landlords um, rented to single families. Those single families have stayed. And so those student rentals have not become back onto the market available for students. 2021 crazy rental market, uh, sorry, real estate market. Uh, There was a lot of people that decided to get out and sold. Um, The people that bought those properties didn't necessarily continue to make them into student housing um, opportunities. So we had a bit of a perfect storm, I like to call it, where we had 2020 and 2021 pulling rentals out of the market. And then now in 2022, we've got most of our schools saying it's the biggest incoming class they've seen. Um, people who graduated high school in 2020 that didn't want to study online. Uh, personally, I know several friends whose uh, younger um, folks decided we're just going to take a year to work or two years to work and I'll get back into my college um, <clears throat> ideas once the things go back to normal and in, in personal learning. So we've got all those people starting this year with the normal graduating class from 2022. And so you've got these large incoming classes with uh, less rent um, less student rentals available. So the supply and demand of it is just going to drive prices up, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what has been the impact? Because clearly, I mean, I think a lot of, you know, I think back to my student days, and this goes back a long time. And I was in Montreal where rentals were always plentiful. Uh, but oftentimes, and this is not a, you know, students don't necessarily spend lots of time worrying about exactly where they're going to live. They sort of figure, I'll, I'll figure it out soon enough. Uh, mm-hmm. But this year, clearly those students, and we're coming up to the, to the return to class, those students are, are, are left in a tough spot.
3: Yeah. And so we're seeing a lot of them, we're hearing people, you know, uh, getting into an Airbnb or a motel, they're coming to town. Some, I've heard anecdotal stories about students living in their cars, I've heard other stories of random students just knocking on doors near campus to ask if somebody has a room in their home that they could rent. So uh, um, that sort of ties in with that uh, the approach that we took last year that seemed to be very successful in Victoria, where we really tried to get the word out in the community that there was this need for more student uh, properties, and it, would there be empty nesters or retired folks that have extra rooms in their house that they'd be willing to rent to a student. So we did that a bit as a pilot project last year, and my contacts at UVic said it was very successful. Uh, they, they, it helped alleviate last year's problem, and then proactively, um, the school stepped up again this year to provide extra funding um, to reach out into the Victoria market, and uh, again, with that same campaign, looking for people that had extra rooms in their home that they'd be willing to rent, number one, that's more student rentals. Number two, it's a cheaper option. If you're willing to live with a host family, you can, you can get a more reasonable rental rate. So that's what we've done. That's what we've gone for. And talking with my contact there last week, uh, Catherine McLeod, she says it's, it's going well.
0: Are we seeing the same impact? Uh, I mean, clearly, it's, it doesn't. It's not the same across the country. But are you seeing the same sorts of phenomenon phenomenons right across the country right now?
3: That most markets are very similar. Even the um, smaller communities you mentioned, the big communities having high rents, small communities are seeing the same thing. Um, so we're hearing from many of our school partners, like Georgian College, they do some of the northern Ontario uh, communities. They're having the same issues. Uh, Fleming College, Peterborough, Lindsay, these places, um, same thing. So Calgary right now reached out to me, University of Calgary, we're doing the same promotions there looking for extra people. So it it really is a a Canada wide issue in I would say probably 80 to 90% of the markets.
0: And as you mentioned earlier, what a remarkable turnaround from two years ago when there were lots of places empty that students could look to, and now all of a sudden um, there aren't. Uh, What has been the impact so far? I mean, have you seen – are you hearing from students as well who are simply – uh, I mean, I guess most students would, would hope to live at least on their own or with a roommate, uh, but I guess they're going to have to make some sacrifices if the market is the way the market is.
3: It is. It, it's just a matter of taking what you can get. Uh, we hear from a lot of students now that they're willing to take what they can get. So whether that means a room in somebody's home or, or maybe bunking in, we even hear students wanting to put two beds in a single room so they can share a room with somebody else um, to cut costs or just because they simply can't find a place So everybody's getting creative, Um, but uh, no. What what we're seeing is schools are realizing that this is a problem. It's also a whenever you have a market shift like this, it brings in investors. So we're also seeing a lot of conferences and a lot of things focused on bringing in investors to build more purpose built student housing around colleges and universities. So I think I think what you're going to see coming out of This year and last year is more of that investment happening. We're hearing also from the schools that they're investing in more residences on campus to give more beds available as well. But many schools, especially smaller ones that don't have residences, are making deals with private companies to build a certain number of guaranteed beds every year that they'll have access to.
0: Yeah, I understand that uh, the student housing market has become, especially in the States, has become a big business for investors as well. Um, In terms of just students themselves, I mean, clearly not having somewhere to put your head down has a widespread impact on your ability as a university to attract students from outside your sort of home area period, right?
3: Yeah, and especially for international students, a lot of schools are targeting the international market. They've set up... um, Different programs to go over and talk to people in in the international markets to attract them to the school. But then at the same time, those schools are are needing to provide housing for people. And so um, if you've got school A and school B, and one has a a well-developed program to make sure everybody has a good place to live, a, a safe place to live, affordable place to live, and maybe institution B, It's just whatever you can find on Kijiji, well, that's going to help in your decision-making process of where you're going to go to school. So, again, it's another factor that uh, has been pushing schools to look at this more seriously. And uh, in the past, their main focus is all the the residents and making sure they've got the residents full and everybody's on campus. Everybody who goes off campus can kind of take care of themselves or figure it out. Well, they, that's not the case anymore. Like you said, it's, it's much different right now. So we've seen much more activity from the schools, getting involved, even hiring full-time staff to assist us in helping us reach, the commu- reach out to the community and uh, find more viable student rentals
0: what kind of price difference are we talking about? I know we've sort of talked about broadly what the rental increases have been in a lot of markets. I'm thinking, obviously, of places like Vancouver where rents have just skyrocketed. But what sort of difference are you seeing in the prices that students are having to pay now compared to, say, pre-pandemic? Yeah,
3: we we have ability to pull reports on average rental rates per unit type. And we've been doing some comparisons for schools that have asked us to do so. And it seems pretty common between a 20 and 35% increase in rent compared to two or three years ago. Is is kind of what's being asked now. You've got um, increased expenses. Uh, you've got Canada increasing the rates for mortgages, and so when people redo their mortgage, if their rates gone up, they're looking to bring in more rent. If they've recently bought the property, they've paid a higher price for it, so they're trying to cover that mortgage as well. So that that's another factor not just the supply and demand that's helping to drive up prices.
0: Well, wow, 25 to 35% that's huge if you're on a student budget, right? I mean yeah. if you factored if you budgeted for a university for 4 years of university 3 years ago, uh 25 to 35% rent rent increase for instance if you're moving on or changing apartments or so forth that's uh, that's massive. I'm yeah. speaking with Mark Taylor, he's director of accounts at Places Places for Students Inc. uh that's a searchable searchable database for off campus student housing. Uh as he's been explaining, they work with campuses right across the country, big and small, trying to help uh, universities house students off campus. It's been a real challenge this year as we know rents are way up in almost everywhere across the country right now. And that's having a real ripple effect uh, on a cascading effect, uh, better yet, on students uh, as they head into this new school year. When we come back, of course, uh, uh, desperation can often lead to uh, scams. And uh, we'll talk a bit more about that. We've been reading a lot about students falling prey uh, to people looking to take advantage of this supply and demand issue. And we'll get to that after this. Our guest this half hour is Mark Taylor he's director of accounts at Places for Students uh searchable database for off campus student housing uh with on our back to school uh 2022 specials this week we'll finish off by looking at what is the real problem for a lot of students this year that's finding a place to live rents are way up in a lot of almost everywhere small communities and large as mark was explaining before the break um scams of course is always a concern here mark we've been reading a lot like the stories seem to follow in a very similar pattern about students desperate to find a place to live going into this new year and a lot of them describe trying to navigate um what has become a a pretty scary place when it comes to things that sound too good to be true but you try anyway because you need a place to live right
3: yeah, and that's that's one of the first things we always say. If it sounds too good to be true, it likely is. And um, so one of the reasons that schools are comfortable using placesforstudents.com is that we have a uh, a little bit of a process where we preview every listing before it goes live. Uh, Kijiji, you're just sort of out there and whatever is there is there, and it's up to you to surf your way through what, what, what uh, might be real and what might not be. Um, but as we're reviewing listings to be posted, our trained staff – uh, are are very skilled at seeing things that look a little off or might seem a little hinky and so before they go ahead and post that listing, they reach out to the landlord who's created the account and uh, by phone and by email and people who are, are dishonest and are trying to pull off a scam never return phone calls and email so that's a big red flag to us if we can't get in touch with the person that created the account. Um, then we do go ahead and block that account and block that user. Um, we also put scam and fraud warnings on our website. We, we also put them at the bottom of every single email that's sent through our system. So we try and keep it in everybody's face that here are some common scams uh, never never pay for a place unseen make sure you go and visit it in person or if you can't and you're out of the country have somebody go visit in person make sure that they've met that landlord that they really do own that property and that it's a it is a real property that is available
0: I imagine as we head into the school year and people are more and more desperate to find places that these sorts of uh, opportunistic crimes will only increase I would think
3: Yeah, whenever you've got panic and whenever you've got people uh, making quick decisions, that's always a recipe for disaster.
0: So what are some of the red flags? I mean, you mentioned them, right? But we read these stories about people sort of, you know, renting when they are, in fact, the renter. They don't have the capacity to rent, Um, you know, uh, renting places that aren't theirs. Uh, You know, there's lots of different uh, avenues out there that scammers try to use. Uh, Do you have any that are sort of the ones that people should really be on the lookout for this year?
3: Yeah. So when we see listings come in and uh, maybe there's not many photos or it's just an outside photo of the property and nothing detailed about the inside, that's one thing that that sets off a red flag for us to contact that person and just maybe suggest, hey, do you have any photos of the inside of the property? Well, if they do, if they do actually own the property, they always do. And and we're allowed to post up to 25 photos per listing. So it's definitely a red flag when we see very little come in visual um we also look for things like is uh, the area code of the phone number does it match the area of the uh of the rental property now of course people do own buildings that are not where they're living personally and that can be normal but we check into that so um those are types of things that we see and like i said if the rent looks too good to be true that's a big flag um, if somebody is asking you for you know uh um a money order or some sort of a bonus or they're trying to trying to say, you know, if you if you pay two or three months up front, we'll make sure on the back end, we'll give you a cheaper rental rate. So all these little things that that seem out of the normal that seem odd. Those are the things that you definitely want to check on before you go any further.
0: Yeah and that's always tough to navigate I imagine. I mean I've had to rent places in other parts of the world and and you know rental markets are unique. They're different everywhere you go. The the mores around rentals are different in every in every place so it must be hard for for students coming from abroad to navigate Canada's rental system and the way it works.
3: Yeah, there's actually another company that we've had a lot of um, work with. It's called uh, rentsmart.ca, and it's basically an online course where students can go through and figure out what it's going to take to be a successful renter in Canada. And so once they graduate from the course, they get a certification, and it's almost like a, a an ID card that shows that they will be a good renter or they're aware of of What their rights are and what the landlord tenant relationship looks like. And um, so that's something that we always recommend as well um, for international students. Uh, it's It's not a sister company. We don't have any financial ties or interests, but it's just another good resource that I know of that's out there.
0: Now, Mark, I, I mean, I gather interest rates are going to continue to climb at least a little bit. Uh, it looks like the housing market's going to stay the way it was for a while, at least. Um, do you see this alleviating at all in the next little bit? I mean, you, so much has changed in just, you know, uh, 36 months in terms of uh, off-campus uh, housing for students. So when you look ahead, do you see it sort of status quo for a bit until a lot of this new uh, purpose-built student housing comes online?
3: Well, that's what i was just going to say any i mean basic economics is where there's a need there's going to be a solution provided because there's going to be opportunity. so um with rent prices the way they are uh with the opportunity to build more student housing to see that need in the market as that starts to get filled like i said with the purpose-built student housing with schools making more residents available that'll be um you know to help push the pendulum back in the opposite direction again we always have big swings in the market we try and mitigate those swings with different strategies but when you have something that's as unprecedented and unforeseen as COVID, that's just really caused a big ripple and uh we hope that we can help settle that down within the next year or two with some of these things that we're doing
0: mark taylor thank you so much
3: oh very welcome thank you